I want to talk today about Hebrews. For a long time, uh, people thought that the book of Hebrews was probably written by the Apostle Paul. But um, in light of a lot of other things, it's, it's not generally recognized that Paul was a writer of Hebrews. Uh, it was written in 65 A.D. around, and the language is a little different um, than it was. But everybody believes, most scholars believe, um, that it was written by somebody that was a close associate of Paul, but we're just not sure who. They haven't been able to pinpoint it. Um, some people think it might have been Luke, again. Some people think Barnabas, some Apollos, some um, Priscilla, uh, and, and some still believe it was Paul. But we're, it's one of the few books that we're not really able to pinpoint the author. It doesn't make it any less important or any less part of the canon. Uh, it's a fascinating book, one of my favorites. But you knew I was going to say that because it's just... All i got to be reading is the Bible, and it's one of my favorites. But there's some amazing stuff through Hebrews, Hebrews that's going on. It was written to Jewish Christians, which was most of the early church that wasn't the Gentile church, uh, who were really struggling in their faith because they were dealing not only with false teachers, but they were really being persecuted uh, and scattered. And, and so the... Some of them were thinking that perhaps it would be better to just return to Judaism. And the writer of Hebrews comes in and just says, just stop. No matter what you're going through now, what you have now is such a better deal than we ever had before that there'd absolutely be no reason to go back. And he kind of just systematically reminds them of how amazing it is to be a follower of Christ. And uh, so that's what we're going to look at together. So I'm just going to read chunks and I'll talk about chunks. We'll go from there. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through him, through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful world word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So the first chapter of Hebrews is pretty much uh, an introduction to the letter um, pointing out how awesome Jesus is. It's really, that's what you need. When you're reading Hebrews, you, you should just be constantly reminded of how amazing Jesus is. And, and with the understanding that he's telling these folks who've come to know Jesus, who are thinking because they're being persecuted, maybe they should, um, you know, go back. Uh, why that would just be the worst decision they could ever make. And so he starts by saying, you know, in the Old Testament, God spoke to his people in, in many different ways. He, he spoke to Abraham, we know, and he spoke to Moses personally. Uh, he spoke to Jacob in dreams. He spoke to Isaiah in visions. But now... The writer of Hebrews says he speaks to us in Christ, that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's revelation throughout the Old Testament. Remember, I, I tell you all the time, if you're, if, if you're with me on the weekends, that this is his story and that you need to read the entire Bible like it's his story from from beginning to end. And that it's the, the Bible is just this amazing uh, supernatural weaving together of this story of, of who Jesus is. And, and how amazing the whole process is. And, and so uh, when, when we know Jesus, now we have all that we need to be saved from our sin and to live full and abundant now and forever life. 
That's what we needed to know throughout the whole process. And the whole thing is pointing towards what Jesus is going to do. Remember, back from the very beginning, uh, in Genesis 3.15, starts the crimson thread of redemption. And that thread weaves through the Old Testament all the way up to the cross. And when we, we do our Old Testament survey, we'll pick up on that thought again and run through it. Because you need to know that. You need to be looking for how amazing God is and how the evil one from that point in time is trying to stop this, this thread of redemption. But he can't, no matter what he does. And he wipes out family lines. He goes after the lineage. He attacks everything. And he'll, he'll end up getting everybody but one. And the line keeps going and, uh, because of the faithfulness of God. And, and God did what he said he was going to do. And so uh, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that all things were made in and through Christ, that he's the complete expression of God in a human body, that, that Jesus is, is our model. I always say this for, for this life that we're supposed to live, for life and ministry. We can look to Jesus and know um, what, what God expected for humanity and, and what it would look like without sin uh, taking over and the fall happening. John 1. One through three. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. So, uh, you know, Jesus is in the beginning. He, he's, he's, he's the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Remember, Jesus has always been um, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and so um, they, they have always been. So uh, Jesus isn't a creation of the Father. He, he's Trinity. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is there in the very beginning. The amazing thing is in verse one, uh, John one fourteen, is that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And if you remember that verse, I've, I've uh, talked to you about that before, about how. Uh, that, that word dwelling is actually tabernacle, that he tabernacled among us. And why that's important is that, that uh, if you go back into the Old Testament and after the Exodus, when uh, God supernaturally releases the, the people from bondage to slavery in Egypt and he brings them uh, through the Red Sea and into the wilderness and uh, ultimately to Mount Sinai, but on the, on the process, he has them create the, the tabernacle. Um, and it's a very big deal. You read about it in, in the, those first letters in Exodus. and uh, they, they make this tabernacle. And in this uh, tabernacle is the place where heaven and earth meet. Remember, in the original creation, um, we, we see sort of the eye picture of tabernacle and that God creates a perfect place where heaven and earth meet. Everything is the way it should be. Sin blows it apart. And then after the um, Exodus account, um, he's going to make a place again where heaven and earth meet. And that's going to be inside the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. And, and so this tabernacle takes place. And then that tabernacle is sort of um, made again in the temple uh, when Solomon builds the temple um, in, in about 1000 B.C. or so. Uh, uh, we, we have... A, we have the, so we have a place then in the temple, the Holy of Holies, there, a permanent place where heaven and earth meet. But then we know that the, that place is destroyed, that uh, the Babylonians destroy it, and all of a sudden there's no place on earth where heaven and earth meet. And that's a big problem. And the prophets start writing about the fact that there's going to be a place again, and this tabernacle is going to be rebuilt, and, and the temple is going to be rebuilt, and, and God's going to come in a mighty way, and then... Uh, 
the they go back in the, the after their Babylonian captivity they go back and rebuild the temple but guess what God doesn't show up the presence of God doesn't come back and they they but they have all these prophets saying it's going to come back well when Jesus arrives on the scene um, what we find out from the scripture is that Jesus is the one where heaven he's the place where heaven and earth meet he's the new tabernacle and that's what that scripture is telling us that he's come to dwell among us tabernacle among us and in Jesus we have a place because Jesus is fully God and fully man right he's the place where heaven and earth meet and then we find out from Paul later on we talked about this not all that long ago that um, after the, the cross after he goes and pays for our sin and defeats death and rises again and as we're filled with the Holy Spirit when we come as believers we're now the place we're the temple we're the tabernacle that's what the scripture says we're the place where heaven and earth meet and so it's a very cool understanding of what that looks like because uh, the Holy Spirit lives in us we're, we're that place now so all of this is coming to pass and and uh, because of that, the writer of Hebrews is going on and he's, he's talking about how amazing it is to be in Christ. Um, Paul related that, this in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. And who's the church? Thank you. Good. Good job. Us. We're the church. Corporately and individually. That's us. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so Jesus gives us a, a, a clear view of, of who God is. Uh, and, and so in Christ, we, we can see what God is like and what, what's that's going on. So, um, you know, Jesus, see, he's the, in, in our ever-changing world, who's, he's the only sort of absolute constant that we have that we can trust in. And so when, when we put our hope in him, when we put our faith in him, when we, when we give him our lives, uh, we're absolutely standing on the surest foundation in the universe. There's nothing like Jesus. No one like Jesus. Never has been, never will be Jesus. Uh, and so the writer of Hebrews will spend a lot of time talking about that. Then um, when you get to chapter 3, verse 1, therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. The apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him. Just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. So remember who he's writing to. Um, the Jewish Christians would have a great handle on the Old Testament. Particularly the first five books. The, the, the Pentateuch. Um, the, the Torah. Uh, they would know that, so they would know all about Moses, and they would know that Moses was commended by God as faithful. And and those first five books that they all knew, they you know God gave them to uh, and through Moses, um, and and Moses was the one God used to set people free from captivity. And yet the writer says that Jesus surpasses Moses, that that in effect Jesus is the builder of the house that Moses served in. And so he was telling them they need to fix their thoughts on Jesus, not go back to fixing their thoughts on Moses. 
And, and the, for all of us, the writer of Hebrews is encouraging us to ponder about Jesus. And I, I would encourage you wholeheartedly that you should be doing that every day. You should be thinking about how amazing Jesus is. You know, when I'm, when I'm trying to weave stories into his story about who he is, it's just so that you stop and are amazed at what he is and what he's done and, you know, what he's promised and how amazing it is that we have life in him. How amazing it is that, that we have a way to, to be reconciled to God in Christ. And what a difference that life is in him. It's, it's just, you should never get to a spot where you just kind of go, well, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm saved and I can't wait till he gets back, but whatever. It's, it's, a, it's this amazing adventure of what he's doing and he's so constantly involved in our lives. He's, th- things happen that, that if, we're, if we don't and aren't thinking about it, we'll start writing things off as coincidence. But he's, he's so actively involved. Things are happening all the time. And, and you, if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. But, but it's a constant sort of situation where... Where I, I know this happens to you. It happens to me all the time. I will think about somebody, and the next thing I know, they're either in my path, or, or you know, there's a something happens where they've connect, you know, connected with me, or I need to connect with them. And oh, what a coincidence! No, it's the it's God moving in your life in these powerful ways, and there's so much going on that that we we need to make sure that we're thinking about who He is in our lives, and and not just writing these things off as as just oh well, that's a that's a coincidence. It's not. It's Him at work. In, in amazing ways, all the time. Little things, big things, things we can't even imagine. Hebrews 4. Uh, and I actually mentioned these verses in last weekend's study uh, as some of my favorites. Because I said that about the whole thing. So there you go. <laughs> Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we did not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So Jesus is our great priest and he understands us. This is an amazing thing. Uh, You know, it, 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 it says that he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. See, he knows what it is to be flesh. He knows what this feels like. He gets it. Now, because he was fully God and fully man, he never sinned, but he faced everything that we face. And so he gets us. So when, when we fall short, rather than being afraid to go to the throne, we go with confidence because he understands us. And, and we go, you know, and we get mercy and grace. We get what we need as we need it. So, so we can always go to the throne. He, it's important that we get that, that, that the access that we have to the throne, which I talked about over the weekend, which is amazing, that we have access now to the most holy place that was totally off limits because of what Jesus has done, that we go. And, and it doesn't matter if we're, we don't have it all together. We go because he sees us in the perfection of his son and, and he gets us and he cares for us and he's available to us. And so we go boldly in to, to the throne room. And, and we get the help that we need, the grace and the mercy and everything that we need. And he empowers us to go and live by doing the next right thing. He goes on in Hebrews 5 uh, and talks more about Jesus as a high priest. Uh, verses 4 and 6. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God just as Aaron was. So Christ also 
did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you're my son. Today I've become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Um, Psalm 2.7 says, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. I'm giving you the references that is being uh, the writer of Hebrews is pulling up. And Psalm 110.4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So uh, the writer of Hebrews there weaved in those two Old Testament passages. And um, at the time of the book of Hebrews, um, the, the, the Romans were actually selecting the high priest in Jerusalem. It, would be, it was a political appointment. Uh, but in the Old Testament, God chose Aaron and his descendants to be high priests. So the, the only high priest in Israel at that point in time had to be in the line of Aaron. And, and his family in the process. And like I said, it had changed in the time of the New Testament because the Romans made it a political thing. But then he mentions Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a fascinating guy in the Old Testament. Um, and, and so uh, Jesus is a high priest, not in the line of Aaron, because he was tribe of Judah, but in the line of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek predates Aaron. So... Um, uh, the writer introduces Melchizedek to demonstrate the support, the superiority of Jesus as high priest in the system over the uh, priesthood of the, the, the Aaronic priesthood, um, because Melchizedek didn't receive his office by birth, but he was appointed divinely by God, and his office was in effect unlimited because the Scripture doesn't tell us where it begins or where it ends. On purpose, it's a it's a foreshadowing of this ministry of Christ, which will the he will always be our high priest. It will never come to an end, Jesus. And so that's why Jesus Messiah is superior as a high priest to anyone else, because his priesthood will never end. It will never, never be uh, over. And so um, Melchizedek was a fascinating guy uh, back in the Old Testament. I could go on, but I'm going to keep going. Hebrews 6, 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. And so he's um, sort of encouraging this group that they, they should be pretty far along in their journey at this point. And, and so they should have, they've had plenty of time to grasp the basic teachings. And, and now... They should, these teachings should be being lived out in their day-to-day walk. See, that's, the, that's really the idea of maturity in Christ, is that we, we take what, what the Scripture teaches us and what the Holy Spirit is, is showing us, and we begin to walk those things out in our life. It, it, it goes from being something that we're, we're, tra- you know, we're reading, and it actually is happening in our lives. That's the idea in this walk. Um, we're putting into practice the things of God in our lives. And... Then as we do that, the neat thing that happens is as you're trying to do that, you, you begin to realize how desperately you need the Lord to make that happen. And, and the very uh, idea of trying to walk this life out, when you're walking this out, it will, it will drive you to prayer. Um, because you, you re- realize how dependent you are on God. That this life that we have is so different than um, the way we would sort of normally approach life. We're going to talk about that whole scenario uh, this weekend. I'm going to talk to you about, uh, one of the things I'm going to talk about this weekend is, is, is God's will and um, 
the knowledge of God's will. But in, in uh, Colossians, Paul says that we understand the knowledge of God's will in spiritual understanding. So that we... Uh, have, you ever, have you ever wanted to know God's will for your life? I had people ask me, what's God's will for my life? And, and the question is wrong. Because God's will is pretty much demonstrated to us in the Bible. It's not so much knowing God's will. It's about doing it. And, and where we generally struggle is in doing it. Because it's in here. The, you know, how you're supposed to live. When I say to you, I always answer that question, living by trying to do the next right thing. That's the will of God for you. Keep doing the next right thing. That's, that's it. But where we struggle is that we are naturally trying to reason it out instead of spiritually trying to understand it. And, and our natural reasoning of things, oftentimes the Bible doesn't make sense. Because there's a lot of weird scriptures in there. Have you ever noticed that? Like if someone hits you, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek. That doesn't make any sense, does it? But that's, but that's how he teaches. It makes sense spiritually, but not naturally. And, and so we have to understand that we, we need to be engaged in relationship with him, seeking him out, in, in order to live it out, get a spiritual understanding of this life. And then it totally makes sense why he does what he does and why he teaches what he teaches and why he says what he says. So that's part of the process that we have to be in. And so all of that requires time in prayer and time in the word. Uh, Hebrews 9 talks about, again, the most holy place and begins this couple of chapter discussion on entrance into the most holy place. And I think uh, last weekend, if you were here, I, I talked about uh, the most holy place was behind a curtain and, and there was the Ark of the Covenant and the, the top of the Ark, the Ark covering was called the mercy seat and there was cherubim on either side, angels at the foot and the head. And remember, I said that was represented again when, when Mary looked into the tomb that picture is there again demonstrating that as the bride of Christ we have access to the very uh, holy place of God uh, in the process but um, the holy place had the Ark of the Covenant um, and inside the Ark of the Covenant were the Ten Commandments Aaron's staff and a jar of manna that uh, stayed in there I'm going to talk about manna this coming week anyway I'm already ready for my weekend thing but I don't want to give it all away now so um because Hebrews 9.4 says, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant, the Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff, that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. And I'm pretty sure I lifted, listed some verses for you. You can look those up. That will um, give you Old Testament scripture of the Ark of the Covenant, what was going on there. And that, that uh, the top cover of the Ark of the Covenant, the, the mercy seat, was the, also known as the atonement cover. And that's where the high priest would go in once a year and sprinkle blood uh, to offer uh, as an atonement for the sins of the people. Only the high priest could go in and only one day a year. Common people never had access. But see, what's amazing is now that we have access in Christ. And that's... See, that was the sort of main argument the writer is making. Why would you go back to a system where, where you, you're not, you don't have access any longer? Because we, we have complete access to the literal presence of God. Jesus, by, by what he did, um, uh, by, by his sacrifice on the cross, has done once and for all what all of the Old Testament repeated sacrifices could never accomplish. He's actually taken away the sins of his people. Uh, his sacrifice was enough to deal with all sin, past, present, future. And, and, and so um, 
He, he's, he's forgiven our, our past sin when he died on the cross. He's given us the Holy Spirit to deal with our present sin. And he makes intercession for us in the presence of the Father. Uh, and he's uh, coming back to raise us back to life so there'd be no more sin. So he's, he's totally dealt with that. Hebrews 10. Uh, he starts talking about how the law could never make perfect those who draw near to worship. Um, following the rules couldn't get you access to God. It's only in Christ that we have this access to the, the, the presence of the Lord because God now sees us in the perfection of his son. Verse 12 of chapter 10. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And that's important too. But what he says there, um, the picture of, of Jesus sitting down at the right hand, the, the priests um, could never sit down because the sacrifices they offered were never completed. But it's the statement that Jesus is making that it's done now. The sacrifice had been offered and he was able to sit in the process. He is made perfect forever. Those who are being uh, made holy. And so um, go and check those out. Uh, Hebrews 10, 19 and following some of my favorite verses. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have you know, access to the, to the throne room of the living God, we, we should go and uh, make, take part of that and be there because there's nothing quite like that in our lives let me read you Hebrews 10 19 therefore brothers and sisters since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from our guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the faith we profess because he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, those are powerful verses, and, and so you should know those and think about those. What an amazing gift that we have access to the most holy place and what's going on. So, I think we'll end it there for tonight. Uh, if you're watching online, thanks for watching, and uh, see you soon. Bye. If you have prayer requests, you can pass them up. Brittany's. Thanks for watching this broadcast from Keys Vineyard Community Church in Big Pine Key, Florida. Be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information, log on to keysvineyard.com. We'll see you next time.